0: You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right, good morning. So uh, I'm super happy to be here. My name is Tim Priestley, and I'm a member here in the West Side Church, and I've been a part of this church community for uh, 25 years ago this, this month. So uh, I'm going to be continuing this morning our series on wonder. Uh, last week, Justin Shump, uh opened us up to the topic of wonder. And if you remember, if you were here or you listened, he defined wonder as amazement plus curiosity. And he talked about our need to see through a child's eyes the pure and unbridled joy that they experience wonder through, to become childlike in the ways in which you're open to the wonder and awe that is around us every single moment of every single day. So it's a great lesson, and I'm going to just kind of take from there and move forward. <clears throat> so last month, I celebrated my birthday, and... Uh, I took my kids to Universal Studios. So we hadn't been there in a long, long time because, you know, life, COVID, stuff like that. And uh, from the moment we got into the park, we made a beeline to the Jurassic World ride. And so it had just opened before COVID and <clears throat> few people went. And it, they had taken a year to reconstruct the Jurassic park ride into the jurassic world ride so it was going to be amazing we had read all the reports and uh so we waited in line for a bit and then boarded the raft with several other people and whenever you're on a cool ride like this it's it's always i'm always torn between do i take pictures with my phone or do i just sit back right and enjoy the ride so it was awesome you start out floating through this massive aquarium. So you're, you're floating on the water, but you're also underneath this, this terrarium. And it's, <clears throat> it was awesome. The, there's this gigantic mosasaurus who's swimming right there beside you. And then he floats above you. And then he snaps a great white shark with one bite of his huge mouth. And then he attempts to break the glass that separates you from him, And then the, gla- the glass starts cracking and it springs a leak and then all of a sudden you get sprayed with all this water and it's, it's amazing. And so then they throw raptors at you and then they throw the indominus wrecks at you and then right at the end. There's this massive Tyrannosaurus Rex that comes swooping down with his mouth gaping wide open right as you go over this cliff and drop a hundred feet straight down into a massive splash. And when you splash down, everyone on your raft is cheering and laughing and exclaiming how incredible that experience just was. And there's this palpable sense of wonder and awe as people get off the ride. And so as you exit, you get to actually walk by this place where they show you a picture that they took of you while you were on the ride. And of course, they take a picture at the moment where you're about to be eaten by the T-Rex and dropping a 100 feet straight down. So... It's not particularly joy and wonder, the expressions that you see on the faces. But <clears throat> at that particular moment, it is just the precipice before you experience the wonder. So you can pay, I don't know, $25 to get a copy of that picture. Or you can just take a picture of that free view with your phone and there you have it, right? For free. But what's crazy is you're here in this park and you don't even have time to bask in the glory and the joy of the ride you were just on because you're busy checking the wait times for the other rides and you're deciding which one has the best wait time to thrill experience ratio and then you run over to that next ride before the, the wait time increases, right? So once you're in line for the next ride, then you can kind of discuss how awesome that last ride was and, and then compare it to all the other experiences and the other rides in your life. And, uh, often you have more than enough time waiting in line to discuss and plan and then get hungry and then check your emails and whatnot. So that's the, that's the theme park experience. And it was amazing to take my kids and especially my 13 year old son who, you know, this was the first time doing the Jurassic World ride and just, he afterwards said that was the best ride ever. So I want us to do, a, we're going to do a little activity this morning. It's a little experiment uh, that we're together right now. So we're going to tune in to a greater sense of wonder in nature around us. And when we make that intention to become aware, that's when the wonder can happen. So meditation is a concept that is found throughout the Bible And it describes a way for us to focus or tune ourselves to something that is divine. It can be God's word. It can be God's works. So there's a passage in uh, Psalm 143, verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and I consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. So we're fortunate to be able to meet outside this morning. While parts of our country have experienced hurricanes and heat waves, you know, we're enjoying the sun, the breeze, the clouds today here in Santa Monica. And I know many in our community are joining us online, thank you. So for this exercise, you may need to go out on the porch or in your yard or, or maybe just look out your window to witness creation. But we're going to take a little time to tune in to what's going on around us. We're going to try to notice the wonder that's already there. All right. But before we do, I want to reference a story from the book of Exodus where Moses first heard the call of the Lord. In Exodus 3, we find Moses' is tending sheep. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, It did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So Moses here, he sees a bush that's on fire, right? That's the story. But it's not burning up. So he goes over to check it out. Some ancient commentary on this story illuminate the fact that this miracle is not readily apparent. Right? The God in Exodus can be much more dramatic, if he wants to, in getting someone's attention. Like splitting the sea in two, or fashioning pillars of fire, or turning the the Nile River into blood. Right? So why something so trivial and undramatic to attract Moses' attention. It's almost, they would say, a cheap trick. It takes time to notice that it's actually a miracle that's happening. So the commentary goes that it's not so much a miracle as it is a test. God wanted to find out whether Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. When Moses did... It was only then that he had an encounter with God when God spoke to him. The trick is to pay attention to what's going on around you long enough to behold the miracle without falling asleep. There is another world right here within this one whenever we pay attention. So for those of you who know this story, Uh, What is the first thing that God asks Moses to do here? Anyone know? He takes off, take off your sandals, take off your shoes, right? And why does God tell him to do this? Because it's holy land, right? So the ancient rabbis on this passage indicate that Moses didn't take off his sandals because suddenly the ground has become holy. But he removes his sandals because he's realizing that the ground has been holy the whole time. So did you know that there's some recent research, actually, on taking off your shoes and the health benefits of going barefoot on the ground? Did you know that? It's called grounding or earthing. And when your body comes in contact, actually, with the earth, there's this electrical connection that you have with the ground. And they've studied some of the benefits include decreased levels of inflammation and pain, reduced stress levels, and it even has been found to help sleep disorders. So it's kind of an amazing thing just taking off your shoes and walking or standing on the ground. So I'm going to invite you this morning. To take off your shoes. If you are able and willing. It may be a little uncomfortable, so I invite you to lean into the discomfort a little bit. We're going to live a little on the wild side this morning. Alright, so I'm going to guide us through this meditation. Stand or sit with your, feet, your bare feet firmly on the ground. Legs slightly apart and allow your feet to really feel the support of the earth underneath you. Take a few moments to find a relaxed posture. You may find that gently swaying around your hips helps you to settle into a relaxed, upright posture. Make sure that your head is resting in a relaxed way upon your shoulders. And just move the head around the shoulder slowly to find a relaxed position and allow your back to relax. Allow your in-breath and out-breath to fill your chest and abdominal area. Now you can either close your eyes if you feel comfortable with that or just resting your gaze at about a 45 degree angle or just ahead. So for a moment, we will take a gentle breath in, holding it slightly, and then exhaling, allowing the out-breath to be slightly longer than the in-breath. And again, breathing in, holding, breathing out. One last time, breathing in, holding, and breathing out. So for the remainder of this time, you can just allow the natural inflow and outflow of the air. So now place your attention first on your feet and then on the earth beneath your feet. Just feel the earth. Notice the coolness or the warmth of where you're standing or you're sitting. Recognizing this present moment as completely unique and therefore Utterly deserving of your full attention, having never been before, nor will it ever be repeated. Notice the sensation of the grass as it pushes between your toes, absorbing the sense of being supported, held steady by the earth and grounded. Imagine that you have your feet, that your feet have invisible roots pushing down into the earth and push those roots as far as you can go. And for a moment, imagine you could notice the firmness of your feet on the earth, the strength of your legs, how square your hips and shoulders are, how open your chest and the comfort of your arms to your sides. Noticing your chin slightly lifted as if greeting the sun. And just for a moment, Imagining the sheer sense of joy and confidence to be inside your body, inside this present moment, embracing the wonder of being here right now. And as we stand in this present moment, the invitation is to guide your attention to your sensation of the sun, the light, as it kisses your face, enveloping you in a gentle, comforting Consoling warmth. Notice the coolness of the breeze right now as it caresses your face, as it plays in your hair. Become aware of nature's presence, God's nature, God's presence right here and right now. Bringing your attention to all the sounds. There's the plane overhead. But if you listen, you can hear the birds. You can f- feel and hear the wind blowing. The sound of the leaves, perhaps. Until you become aware of the sound of your breath. And then, for a moment, directing your attention to the felt sensation of the inflow and outflow of air through the nostrils. Or perhaps there's a greater sense of awareness of the rising and falling of the chest or the expanding and contracting of your belly, regardless of where the attention rests, we just want to follow the breath right now, moment to moment, without judgment. And as we release our attention from the breath, we once again notice the warmth of the sun, the coolness of the breeze, and we return back to where we started, becoming aware of the earth beneath our feet, acknowledging the present moment as sacred, the ground on which we stand as holy, because our standing is indeed in the presence of God. Taking one last breath in, and then slowly exhale. All right, you can go ahead and sit down. Open your eyes. How are we feeling? (sighs) When we pay attention to God's creation around us, we consider this majesty. We have wonder always as close by as our own breath. So the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 begins with this poem, this poem of creation. And in this poem there's this divine and animating and activating energy that's creating. So the poem starts with God speaking, right? Let there be light. Because words create new worlds. We know this, right? In the poem there's this affirmation of creation. There's light and then there's dark. And it's good. There's water. And there's land, and it's good. There's fish in the sea and birds in the air and animals on the land, and it's good. There's trees that produce fruit, and the fruit is pleasing to the eye, and it's good. And then there's man, and then there's woman, and it's very good. So again and again... Rhythmically in this poem, it's like the stanzas of a good song that you sing to this affirmation of essential goodness that rests on all of creation. So for the purpose of time, I'm not going to read through it, but hopefully you know it. And if not, read it. Genesis 1. It's beautiful. It's about the divine joy and love and explosive creativity that makes all of this wondrous diversity and loves it, and announces it's good. It's good. It's good. Now The Hebrew word for good is tob, which means to be in harmony with God. <clears throat> because man was created and has inherent value. Before he accomplished anything, he was created in wonder and awe. This animating energy of creation was based <clears throat> on joy and love, wonder and awe. So at the time that this Genesis account was being recorded, there were a lot of other creation stories back in different ancient societies, and they were often rooted, these other stories, rooted in violence. So there's a Babylonian account of creation that had one God, killing another god, and ripping the dead carcass in two. And part of the carcass became the sky, and the other half of the dead carcass of this god became the earth. And that was their creation story. So it's rooted in violence. That's the animating energy of their creation. And, of course, if you were back then, this global military superpower who had its origin in based in violence – you can expect that it will lead to all sorts of other violence in your history, right? So the Genesis account was something so different. It was this God who loved to create, who called it all good. <clears throat> but then if you continue the story, a couple chapters later, we get to Genesis 3, which it's not the creation so much as it's the mess Most of you know how the story goes. Man makes a mess of things, like we do. There's a tree that they're not supposed to eat of, and if they eat of it, they're told they will die. But both the man and the woman eat of it, and they experience this form of death through separation, through loss, because the choices they make, there are consequences. There's pain. There's this change of relationship between each other, and between them and God. So some decisions can we can make can really make a mess of things, right? Decisions of separation. Decisions of isolation. Decisions of sin. Which simply means separation. You choose not to live in union with God's intent. But what's interesting in this story in Genesis it places the human capacity to make decisions and make a mess of things within the larger goodness of God's creation. So there's a big question here. Does the story begin in chapter 3 or does the story begin in chapter 1? Because if the story begins in chapter 1, it doesn't begin with the mess that human beings are capable of making. It begins with this essential goodness that is present in all of creation. It's interesting that some forms of Christianity will look back and they will call what happened in in, uh, Genesis 3 original sin. If the origins were sin. So it's really interesting when we look at ourselves, where does your story begin? The story that you tell yourself day after day. So I've been reading lately this for uh, my degree program, this fascinating book called Mindsight, which was written by Daniel Siegel, who's a psychologist and I think professor over at UCLA, and uh, where he talks about our internal narrative, our internal story, and how it has everything to do with how we relate, how we interact, how we react, how we feel. He talks a lot about attachment styles, attachment methods. Does your story begin in the beginning? Or does it begin later in chapter 3 with all the ways that you've made a mess of things? Because that story is not going to be a good one. That story can make you feel crazy. Makes you feel depressed. It can beat you up in many ways and make you feel like trash, make you feel worthless, make you feel irreparably broken. So you need to go back and start your story from chapter one, from the beginning. Yes, all the mistakes, the separations, the bad decisions are there. They're part of the story, but its roots are at the beginning of Genesis one, where it's good it's good it's very good you don't deny or dismiss the facts of the mess you don't skip over it but when you start the story earlier it's a much better story so we're constantly telling ourselves stories throughout the course of any given day you're you're just repeating stories in your head is this person on my side is this person not on my side is this a friend? This is an enemy. This latest headline in the news is good. This latest headline is bad. We're constantly telling our stories. And storytelling is this uniquely human ability based on the development of the highest part of our brain, which is the cortex. That's how we make our way in the world. Stories direct us and they make, us, they make sense of us. And that's why Genesis, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and everything that follows, everything that happens, happens within this essential goodness. So the provocative question is, is it good and then gets off course, it veers off track from time to time in small ways or sometimes in big ways? Or is it a bad story that occasionally, once in a while, There are little hints or intrusions of good. So we understand that at the center of our being, our mind and thoughts and feelings, we live and move according to this, some guiding story. The story that you are telling, we tell it with our whole body. It's the story that we're actually listening to. It's deep within us. It's this undercurrent. It's a foundational thing. It penetrates us in every way, always rattling around our head. The goal is to shift your story from a chapter three beginning where it's a mess, where there's original sin, where you're stuck to the beginning, to a Genesis one beginning where it's good. And if you can shift that story that you're telling deep within you, and you're cre- that you're created in wonder, that it's good to be here, that it's good to be you. Just watch how many things that you'll start to view differently. God may speak to you in new ways. Perhaps you'll hear a calling. You'll witness resources becoming available to you. And you may notice that God has been speaking the whole time. The power, the love, the resources were always there. You're just starting to notice as your story shifts. So we need to be infused with that kind of good story. And it's interesting that the story of Jesus was in fact called gospel, which literally means it's a good story. It's good to be you this morning. It becomes Much easier to forgive yourself when you know it's good to be me. I'm created in wonder. It's much easier to forgive and connect then with others. So where does your story begin? In chapter 1, with the wonder of a good creation, or chapter 3, where we make a mess of things? Is your life an irredeemable mess? A burden that you have to endure and push through? Or is your life an adventure that you get to go on? There's this great quote that I start my day off every day uh, from the poet Rainer Maria Rilke, and he says, "Truly being here is glorious." It's that simple. It's a great mantra. Being here is glorious." So may you, my brothers and sisters, find a new beginning to your story rooted in the goodness and joy and wonder of a God who loves to create and creates what he loves. May you see your value not in what you've accomplished or in the messes that you've made, but rather in the divine spark that is at your core from the beginning. And may you live a life, an adventure full of wonder and awe. Thank you. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.